she's always been the type of person that just says things and she just speaks her mind. I guess that has a little bit to do with not having a formal education. Welcome to episode 58 of The Body Serve. Once again, we come to you after a long delay. And it's because of me, James. <laughs> again. <laughs> and you are? I'm Jonathan. Welcome back. We thank you very sincerely for your patience. And if you're if you're still here, still listening, yes, we are still podcasting. And we appreciate you coming back. And thank you for inquiring through various media if we have another episode coming. Yeah, you know, um, it was some good pressure on me because I was the one dragging my feet. Not because I didn't want to record, but... You had a big old professional exam yeah. studying for. In Canada, you need a certification for everything. This is different from the States. So I'm working on my HR designation. Basically, it is a huge important thing for my prospective career it costs a lot of money and i just had this big test with like 10 million questions on it on saturday morning which is a great way to spend your saturday and no matter how many times i told him look you are the top of your class you're smarter than everybody else quit worrying about it stop <laughs> stop that makes me so sound so conceited well i well, mean i didn't say it no i said it mm -hmm. but uh, you're just a worrywart when it comes to these things <laughs> Yeah, but why do you think I do well? Because I, mm -hmm. I care. Okay. So that is behind me. I'll find out at basically Christmas Eve if I passed or not. So I'll keep you posted. If I fail, if I fail, like you will not know about it. I'm not telling anyone. <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime, a lot of stuff happened in tennis since we were last on air. This episode, we're going to go over the women's events, the WTA finals in Singapore, the WTA so-called Elite Trophy event mm -hmm. in Zhuhai. What's with the snickering? Because we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> and then a little old thing happened this week on in men's tennis. We have a new world number one. For the first time in a long, long time. Yeah. Since Roger seeded the crown in 2012, we'd only had Novak and Rafa at number one. Right. And it's been Novak for a good three years. Must be, right? Oh, I, I just assume he's number one into infinity. <laughs> number one to... Oh, no. <laughs> I, I just made a Mariah reference inadvertently. Her number one to infinity album. A plus amazing reference. But it was in reference to Novak, which... Ooh. Ooh. But I don't know if you've heard, I am a big Novak fan. According to somebody on Twitter, so maybe uh, there's some schadenfreude going on. According to some hater on Twitter. Yeah, all of a sudden, I a couple nights ago, I tweeted, Novak and Murray both have twice as many ranking points as Vavrinka at number three. And the way I worded it, I said, Nole and Murray. And this person just wrote back and said, oh, this must be a Novak fan. And then somebody <laughs> somebody else chimed in and was like, why? Why did you say that? I don't think that that's the case. They're like, well, he said Nole, and then he said Murray instead of Andy. I'm like, come wow. on. I just wow. had to laugh. Quite literally, I had written Djokovic and Murray, but there are 140 mm -hmm. characters. <laughs> How come you didn't use Andy and Djokovic? Yeah, I'm, it's just my inner Nole fam coming out. Children, ch children, I know that we can be sensitive about our favorites, and we have been in the past, but some of you need to get a grip. The Nole sensitivity right now is at peak levels, and by peak, <laughs> I mean the opposite of peak. <laughs> mm, nadir. <laughs> anyway, so who won the WTA Finals? We're setting the tone for a quiz at the end of this episode because James is going to be taking a quiz 
that he's coming into blindly, mm-hmm. that he doesn't know what the subject is, and he's going to trust that I won't embarrass him on this podcast. Right. I hope it's not quantum physics or something. <laughs> so who won the so, WTA finals? your WTA title leader, Dominika Sibokova, won the WTA finals. She did. And it wasn't, it wasn't out of nowhere, but I would still venture to say it was a big surprise. She has had a great year, but her performance at this tournament was pretty stellar. She's come on like gangbusters in the last couple months. One. Two, she lost her first match in the round robin phase. In fact, she lost two of the three matches. Mm-hmm. But the nature of that format, she was able to advance. One of those losses was to Kerber in the round robin. And luckily she, she got a set yes, in that she match. she took a set. And then she lost to Madison Keys. And then she beat Svetlana Kuznetsova. And then she beat Simona Halep in her final match to go through. But she ends up beating Svetlana in the semifinals. Svetlana, who (laughs) played and left all her guts and might on the court for the last two weeks. Has, well, we'll get to that. And then she plays Kerber again in the final. Kerber, who had just come off dusting Radvanska. I think Radvanska may have won like three points in the whole match. Oh, <laughs> it was that's some, rude. It was some crazy result. <laughs> like she was so efficient. She was getting better and better each match. And then Sibolkova, she just beats her in straight sets in the final. Mm-hmm. And Kerber is a great, great retriever who is able to hit with a lot of power herself. But she was really on her back foot for a lot of that match. And it looked like... At times, she wasn't really sure what to do with all that power. Sibulkova was playing so aggressively. If she got a short ball, that inside-out forehand was just so punishing. There was really nothing you could do to run that down. You have here on the agenda inside-out forehand blammo. <laughs> what is a blammo? That's just what I was thinking when I was watching the highlights of that match. Just like an um, what is onomatopoeia. A... You know what that is? <laughs> course i know what that is okay okay it's like uh in the old batman show mm-hmm. where somebody would get Wham, punched and then um, put whack. exactly that's what it looked like to me okay it was like wow and you came up with the word blammo this woman is five foot two and the ball is just exploding off her racket and she plays so close to the lines too when she's feeling confident like that when she's feeling herself mm-hmm. with the win sibolkova moves up to a career high Number five, she's going to finish the year the fifth ranked WTA player in the world, Mm -hmm. which if you had been told that at the start of the year, you'd have been like, well, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I believe you in that. So she was a runner up at the Australian Open a few years ago when that was in 2014, I think, right? And lost to Lena and... You didn't hear a lot about her since then. And then she really took this year by storm. She made a bunch of finals. Well, you she dealt you with know a lot the exact numbers here. I don't. She made seven finals, won four tournaments. Mm-hmm. She'd also been laid up with a lot of injuries right. over the last year and a half. So this is her first real stretch of being back at her best. She took off like 30 seconds to get married this summer. Mm-hmm. And then she was back. And she's just been tearing it up. She's shown that she can beat nearly everybody on tour. I think you're a dummy fan because you just want to lust after her husband. <laughs> now, I'm not a big fan of the beard. Mm. But no, I, there's just something about her that I can't help but like. She's exciting. She's got um, charisma. She definitely does. She's got uniqueness. And I have to admire someone who... She's definitely got nerve. <laughs> I feel like I know where you're going here. And lots of talent. Um, But I was saying I have to admire someone who has worked so hard to make so much of her gifts. She's talented, but her stature could have been a big uh, hindrance. Exactly. And I know as I was watching the match, I noticed I know that all pretty much all professional players keep their eye on the ball really well. But for some reason, they kept showing her in slow motion, hitting her forehand. And I was just enraptured watching her watch the ball as she was hitting it. I love that. That's something that you can really learn from watching pros. Judy Murray tweeted last week 
a picture of Andy and one of those scenarios where he has his eye on the ball. Mm. And she said something to the effect of when coaches say you got to keep your eye on the ball, I always ask which one. <laughs> because what? <laughs> cuz uh, you see the picture and he's looking at the ball and mm-hmm. you're like which eye is on the ball? Kind oh. Of thing. Oh my god, I thought you meant which ball. <laughs> oh my god, you're so dirty. <laughs> no, it didn't really That's make sense so to me. That's so embarrassing. <laughs> or or fave Svetlana. Let's talk about her run starting with Moscow. She had to win, mm-hmm. not just go deep but win in Moscow. That final Sunday in Moscow where she lifted the trophy, the tournament had already started in Singapore. <laughs> They'd already had right. the lineup of the seven of eight women taking pictures at promo events with one player conspicuously absent. Can you believe that they did the photo without her, without the eighth player? I think that was really rude. It and was actually very unprofessional. So awesome. So many Twitter people started photoshopping mm-hmm. her in afterward. <laughs> They should have photoshopped her dog in, too. Oh, my God. But imagine being Joanna Conta sitting there waiting to find out if you've made the field. But Svetlana did exactly what she had to do. She had to win. Not only was she trying to qualify for Singapore, she was defending championship points from the year before. Mm. So she gets to Singapore, like something, some crazy number, like 48 hours later. She has to start playing her round-robin matches. And she just ends up playing a slew of three-set epics. Mm-hmm. All of her round-robin matches were three sets. And the first two were long. Mm-hmm. Really long. The first was 7-5 in the third. The second was 7-6 in the third. And she beat Radwanska and, uh, what's her name? Pliskova. And then the loss to Muguruza I would call energy-saving. In what was basically a dead rubber. Or just not having any energy left. (laughs) Well, right. But at that point, you know, when you're losing the second and third sets, like 6-1 and 6-2 or 6-love or something, Mm -hmm. she realized she needed to save up energy if she wanted to get through that semifinal or have a chance. And hey, it gave Muguruza the rare win. No shade, though. All shade. (laughs) (laughs) I know you wanted to talk a little bit about Muguruza and how we can situate her post-French Open struggles Mm -hmm. this year. That's something we'll leave for a year-end episode. Yes, I don't really have that in my spirit right now. I think we should celebrate what is an interesting new chapter in Svetlana's career. This will be, uh, as I think Steve Tigner said on Tennis.com, adding to the legend of Svetlana Kuznetsova. It was really a remarkable two weeks there. And she'd had, she's had an, a remarkable year all around. She really has. She's 30 years old. She's always kind of learning how to beat much younger women at this stage in her career. She's one of the best athletes on tour. She's great from both wings. And she knows, she knows how to put together a point. And as you know from interviewing her, she takes her career very seriously. Oh, did I? Did I do that? <laughs> it seems so long ago. Right? I mean, you like know her. Yeah. I've never spoken to her. I would not quite qualify or interaction as friendship building. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you're in the same room and you talked. Okay. So there's that. Then this, as I said, WTA so-called elite trophy in Zhuhai. Just mm-hmm. wrapped last week. Petra Kvitova, your champion, looked fairly unbothered all week. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we had no Wozniacki, we had no Venus. The defending champion didn't show up. Venus didn't. Mm-hmm. She was just done with 2016, evidently. Which is fine. Yeah. She was. She gave a speech at a women's conference in the States. She's posting pictures of her dining out all over whichever city she's in. The most recent was New York City. She may or may not be hitting Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, that's another thing. (laughs) I just just don't get this tournament. Last year, I was really excited for it because, hey, there were 700 free points for Venus. Mm. And Venus playing deep into the year and winning was exciting. Seeing her get back to the top 10 was exciting. I just could not bring myself to care about Zhuhai this year. Mm. It seems so superfluous to everything that's happened already this season. I'm not sure what's to be gained 
by winning this tournament outside of the points. Like, right. great. You can say you won another title, you got all these ranking points. But from a, a consumer of tennis perspective, I'm wondering how many people are really into it. Maybe y'all can give us some feedback on that. I wonder about the the value of having it after the WTA finals because it's by definition an anticlimax, mm-hmm. right? You've then, seen the best players in the world, and now here are some other very yeah, good players. That's one clear solution mm-hmm. to 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 flip it to have the qualifying in order to then have Zhuhai happen before Singapore. Right, that's one fix. So, but also change the name. Who is who? How are you going to take this tournament seriously when you're saying it's the elite trophy? These are not the elite players. That's a type of branding that you leave well, for your you year-end tournament. It? Like the really the the pretty okay trophy. It's not. It's not <laughs> elite. Like the okay. elite is the the final, the Singapore right. event. That's what that is. So you're kind of mocking yourself to an extent by branding it that mm-hmm. way. That's the way I see it. Maybe you can call it the WTA Next Best. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> um. I will say I don't want to be rude and I don't want to dismiss the players who were there, but the the draw was a bit underwhelming for me this year. Petra, the, playing the way she is, she should have been in the w, WTA finals, but she didn't have an altogether amazing year. Mm. So she is an elite player. She, at her best, is one of the best players in the world, as far as I'm concerned. The other issue with the event, yes, it's round robin, but then you have four groups. You have four groups, three players in each group. So you're playing two matches, and then from those two matches, you then choose a winner from each group to go right. to the semifinals. It just mm-hmm. makes no sense. No. As much as round robin play brings in all these different ramifications as far as qualifying that make it confusing for fans, it's that much more inconclusive and strange when you're making the semifinals from that format of just playing two matches. Mm-hmm. This takes away the confusion but makes the format less fair. Maybe you open up the field to 32 players and call it some kind of like the WTA last hurrah or something. <laughs> or the last scramble. Mm. or And have it be a single elimination kind of thing. I don't know. I just... Something has to be... Something has to change with this event. Mm-hmm. I mean, if the players want to be there, then I'm all for having a tournament having more tennis at the end of the year to celebrate players who've played well during the year. Yeah, sure. That's great. But as it stands right now, it does seem kind of anticlimactic, as I said. However, we definitely should be lauding Petra Kvitova for how she's been playing. Yeah. Since the U.S. Open, she's gone 17-3. and She's been in three finals in the fall. One was in Luxembourg, so she flew back to Europe and then went back to Asia. We talked about a few weeks ago, she absolutely destroyed the field in Wuhan and now added Zhuhai to her year. But look at the list of players she's beaten only since the U.S. Open. So there's Kerber, Muguruza, Halep, Sibokova, and Svitolina twice. And she beat Svitolina in the final in Zhuhai. But, I mean, those first five players are some of the best players of the year. Two recent Grand Slam champions. It's just, it's crazy. When... When Petra is firing, she's, to me, in the top three players of the world. Well, everybody knows that. Right. Even Petra knows that. Right. (laughs) And she knows that she's not going to be firing on all cylinders at all times. And it seems like she's accepted that, which is very encouraging to me. Because she's able to, it seems like she's able to enjoy the times when she's playing well and sort of push through when she's not. And I will add that... Roberta Vinci is not sure if she's going to retire this year. However, her last match could be a total decimation at the hands of Petra Kvitova. That is not a good look for mm. you right now. I mean, I I wasn't laughing or anything. I'm just throwing that why, out there why for are you bringing that up? to do with what you that will. That way. Why are you bringing it up that way? I don't know. Mm, messy. <laughs> are there any other loose threads in the women's game that you want to talk about? Well, again, back to Sibolkova, she just came out of nowhere, seemingly, and had, well, obviously a top five best year. Mm. She's ranked five. Right. So that fits. But she has the most titles on tour. 
She's made the second most finals behind Kerber. She's mm-hmm. four and three in finals. Kerber's three and five. That being said, Kerber's finals were finals. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Right. I mean, she made the title match of the Olympics. Uh-huh. Lost to Serena at Wimbledon. Mm. This is not, say, losing the final of Stuttgart to Zhang Sai Sai. No dig on Sai Sai. Or know. Stuttgart, because Maria has like 26 Porsches from there. <laughs> but she put herself in position to win a lot of big tournaments this year. And easily the WTA Player of the Year. Even Serena concedes yeah, that. Yeah, there's, there's really no argument that I'm going to hear from fellow Serena fans. I am a serious Serena fan, as you know. A serious Serena fan? Very serious. Fan? Okay. I take it very seriously. <laughs> But it's just not. Like, she's not the best player of this year. Of course, she's the best player on Earth. Everyone knows that. But Kerber had a better year than she did. I can admit that. Serena can admit that. I think it's interesting that now that Kerber is number one, the expectations are so much bigger. In previous years, her losing in the Olympics and losing in the final of the year-end tournament would be incredible results for her. And now we're expecting her to win all those matches. So, all in all, she's done pretty well for herself this year. The perception of Kerber is changing, for sure. Of course. And so, now people want to see her, especially detractors, want to see this as choking. But she's not used to being number one. I wouldn't necessarily call them detractors. Okay. As I'd call them bitter Serena Williams fans. (laughs) The morning I woke up and I saw that result where Dummy beat Kerber Mm -hmm. in straight sets, I was shocked. For one. Yeah. And then scrolling through Twitter, the nastiness of these Serena fans. It's just so unbecoming, but yet so expected at this point. Ooh. I'm just saying, like, your girl didn't win all year. Mm. She just didn't. She didn't play enough. This idea that, well, Serena didn't play enough and that's why she's not, not ranked number one anymore. Well, that's not a good thing. <laughs> okay. Sure. <laughs> she didn't play. And when she right. did play, she didn't win most of the time. And she did very well. Yeah, but when she was lost still, her... You say it's a disappointing year. I've said before on the podcast that mm-hmm. I still think it's like a perfectly fine year for Serena. Results-wise. Mm-hmm. Like, she's getting up there in age. Like, maybe we have to readjust what we think is a great year for Serena at this point. Yeah. It can't all be 2013. Exactly. Yeah. But this idea that we're going to... And it's not just Serena fans. We'll get to it with Novak fans later on. Where you then get to pick and choose your means of defense mm-hmm. of your your queen or king. <laughs> it just doesn't really work like that. I guess Serena won. She played eight tournaments. That's bad. Right. And I think, I don't think that Serena was sitting at home when she lost the number one ranking saying, that's really unfair. She knows, she's been in this game for 20 years. She knows how it works. Yeah. She realizes that she sacrificed the points because she wants to rehab mm-hmm. and she wants to play healthy. And, there's and no... I think, I really think she's still struggling with motivation a lot. Even though she made two Grand Slam finals, she won Wimbledon. I think that US Open is haunting her. It I, really is. See, I think it's more injury. Okay. I think her body's just not where she needs it to be to compete and feel confident mm. every week and to enjoy it. We saw that in that interview after the U.S. Open when she was like, I just want to get to a point where I'm not struggling with injury every week. I think that's what it boils down to. Because you're not going to love playing if you're in pain. No. Just trying to get through matches. And there's no guarantee if Serena had played 12 to 15 tournaments this year that she wouldn't have lost to Kerber in like five more of them. Mm. A, because she wasn't at her best physically or for any other host of reasons. So this, this throwaway... Oh, yeah. Like, Serena is clearly better than Kerber. And I'm not going to give Kerber her due or respect her number one position. Let's move past that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just looking forward now to see what Serena's going to do next year. Because I Serena coming back for that number one spot, hey, like that's something to really look forward to. It is. And you know that Serena Williams with something to prove is fearsome and at the very least interesting. Because when was the last time Serena had to snatch some wigs? Right. When did she have to prove that she was the best? Andrew Baron Murray is the new number one player on the ATP World Tour. 
bathe in that. <laughs> there was a point when I thought this might never happen. It kind of came out of nowhere. It did. And we talked about it on the last episode, how it was kind of a long shot. I was saying if he wins Vienna and wins Paris indoors, then he will become number one. And I don't think that's going to happen, but it did. Somehow it did. But also we come from starting the year where he loses to Novak in the first two majors of the year. Again losing to Novak in these big matches. His Grand Slam finals record is now 4-72. and 72. Three. <laughs> My point being, he has suffered a lot. Yeah. And so a lot of finals. The general perception of Murray at that point, after those two first Grand Slam finals, was, yes, with Roger, Rafa out and struggling and injured, and Stan playing well when he wants, uh, Murray is your legitimate, unquestioned, makes perfect sense, number two. <laughs> right. And that's probably where he'll stay until Rafa or Roger Stan comes and like brushes him aside. Like I didn't really think of him <laughs> being able to topple Novak at that point. No. Now it is important to remember that he hasn't beaten Novak. No. So <laughs> this is the thing. Novak is not getting to these stages lately. He hasn't had a great few months, as everyone knows. So the real test moving forward, of course, is when they meet the next time, what the hell is going to happen? And how much does this give him enough confidence to be able to beat Novak at his best? Mm -hmm. Is this a game changer for Andy in that sense? You know, I think this year, even though he lost in the Australian Open, he made it further in the French that he ever has. And I think we can credit Moresmo with some of his development on clay. I think that credit needs to be given where it's due. See, if we were in America right now on the eve of this election, we'd be pulling for our shotgun to shoot through the roof right now and just be done with these people stomping upstairs once like, and for all. Do y'all have your kids running around at 8.45 at night? Do you? Anyway, Andrew Murray, there is so much bitterness and sass and hateration on Twitter. I'm so happy for Andy Murray. There is a lot of happiness for Andy Murray. There definitely is. It's as universal as it can get on, on tennis Twitter. <laughs> there is right? a lot of praise from the WTA, mm -hmm. from women's tennis players. And I think it's obvious why that is. Because you can bitch about how you don't think he's a feminist or whatever, but he's one of the few players who is always praising women's tennis players and proving that he actually watches women's tennis. And now, anything that Andy Murray says to the betterment or to lift up women, women's sport and women's tennis will be coming from the pulpit of the top-ranked player on the ATP. Mm -hmm. At least for a week. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we don't know what yeah. will happen. Still, it adds more heft to his voice. Mm -hmm. Because whatever he says now, he'll be a two-time Wimbledon champion and former number one. Two-time Wimbledon champion, U.S. Open champion, two-time Olympic gold medalist, mm -hmm. and number one. Yes, but those Wimbledon titles matter most. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that Andy is the first Brit to do a lot of things. We obviously know first British man since 1936, was it? Something like since that. Since Fred Perry, last one Wimbledon. He's the first British man to reach number one. There were great British tennis players before the Open Era, who, you know, probably would have been ranked number one, but he's the first one to actually have the ranking, and he's someone who came out in favor of Scottish independence. So his place is so complicated, muddled in, in the UK. He's the example of the man who says what he wants, but it's a good thing. <laughs> says whatever he feels like, but it, it's coming from a place of intellect and thoughtfulness. Well, luckily, most of the things he says land in our area of agreement. Yes, <laughs> which is my point. To me, it would just be absurd if Andy had never reached number one, because his career is better than a lot of people who have reached number one. Like you said, he's won three Grand Slams. He's won two Olympic Golds, which don't count for rankings. But he's been in 11 Grand Slam finals. 
there was this thing when Stan came around as the so-called Big Fifth member, right? Completing the boy band. Mm-hmm. That, well, is Stan replacing Murray? And every time Murray makes one step forward, Stan comes and pegs him back. And they're then, are they on equal footing? Like, do we know this? And I feel like, safe to say, this is something that Stan will never achieve. <laughs> and so... i uh, never say never, but I would be surprised. Yes. If it... If there's a way to permanently differentiate the two, this is going to be it. Yeah. I feel. The idea that they are the same, mm-hmm. because at one point they had, you know, the same amount of Grand Slam titles. They both had two Slam titles, then they had both had three, Stan caught him both times, whatever, blah, mm. blah, blah. And Stan won his titles against big-time players. Yeah, beating Novak in ways that Andy hasn't been able to do. And beat Rafa following an incredible 2013 season. Mm-hmm. So good on him, but this is not a this is not a really not a knock on Stan. No, no, this no. is a knock on the cloudiness and the cloudy thinking of this whole Big Five business because it's not a Big Five. Like the Big Four is set in stone; it's not malleable. Like these four, <laughs> and even more so now because these four have all been to number one. Yeah, you can't They've get kicked, all played get double digit slam four. finals. Their experience is so unique as a foursome that we need to just retire the big five business. Like, Mm -hmm. it's big four, and that's it. It's not like you can get kicked out for not wearing pink. Do you remember on Mean Girls? In Mean Girls? You you seem to... Everybody knows this movie except for you. I know this movie. I've just never watched it 50 (laughs) times. I've watched it maybe three times. Stan, you can't sit with us. If you want to quote Notting Hill, I can do that. Not, well, I can't. I will. I can't do that. I'm just a girl. Oh my, don't. Standing don't. in front of a that, boy. I'm so sorry. That is one of the worst <laughs> lines ever. <laughs> it really is. And I love Julia Roberts. I really do. I'm not embarrassed about it. But it's not good. Now, do you feel any sort of way for Novak fans who are spinning out of control? Do you feel sorry for them? Can you empathize and note my choice of word there empathize mm-hmm. because miss serena williams did have her crown snatched this year so is there anything that you can think about with your experience and your presitude back then mm-hmm. that you can relate to with novak fans right now i ain't sorry <laughs> no no hell no <laughs> no listen novak fans And Serena fans have been so spoiled for so long. I, as a Serena fan, of course, was devastated when she didn't win the U.S. Open this year, when she didn't get her uh, calendar year Grand Slam, when she was injured in 2011, all of these times. We have been given so, so much by these players. And if you're a Novak fan, he was number one for like five years. He had some of the... not that long. Not consecutively. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's had some of the best seasons in tennis history. Still not five years. (laughs) Will you just shut up? (laughs) The thing is, yeah, I get it. I would be upset too. But it happens. This is tennis. And who's to say that he's not going to get it back soon? Shout out to Dr. Scholes. Not the foot guy. No. Who you were interacting with on Twitter today. Mm -hmm. That calculator gif was hilarious. (laughs) Because He's asking everybody, how much does round robin uh, give you in... Points. Yeah, where? In London, London? in London, yeah. <laughs> like, wherever the fuck it is. Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, this is Dr. Scholes trying to figure out if Novak can get back to number one. <laughs> and somebody furiously... <laughs> <laughs> so, to answer your question, no, I don't feel sorry, but I do understand the pettiness. Okay. And because... to answer my own mm. question... I don't feel sorry for either of you, like the Serena or the <laughs> Novak fans. Like This has been the great blessing to my life. Mm-hmm. Outside of Venus, I've been able to have more of an approach of looking from the outside more mm-hmm. and detach myself emotionally from tennis. Uh, well, you have to. But because Venus has suffered and her fans have suffered yeah. too. I can't move past the Venus thing just yet. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, (laughs) but as much as I'm a Serena fan or a Rafa fan 
or whomever. It's just kind of cool to sit back and watch it all un unfold at this point. But I do get it. I do remember when I hated Federer and Rafa beating him at every turn was the greatest gift life could give. Mm -hmm. And nothing about that was rational. <laughs> right. Looking back, and I'm totally embarrassed by some of the things that I said to my friend who's a big Federer fan. Mm. I remember I even went into Microsoft Paint and wrote this whole thing about Federer sucks with all these different colors <laughs> and changed my Facebook profile picture and tagged my friend in it. <laughs> okay that's uh, commitment yeah it's it i'm coming from a dark place i'm not just <laughs> saying this lightly i do enjoy my new place in tennis mm -hmm. you've grown <laughs> i have i've matured a little bit well you and i and probably a lot of people have been able to develop more appreciation for some of the players that we didn't like mm -hmm. as they've gotten older and, frankly, more innocuous. Yeah. I mean, dare I say that I kind of like Federer now. And I can even watch his old matches when I really didn't like him and I didn't want him to win and just sit there in awe at what he does. And the same with you and Steffi Graf, because you were fans, a fan of her opponents for the yes. most part. I liked Lickery, Steffi. Sanchez, you know, yeah. the people who were losing to her a lot. 99 Steffi was good Steffi. <laughs> The, vi for, the for victory tour. Back then, yeah. Mm -hmm. and it was now easy I, to feel good about her. Though. And now I see her show up sporadically at events. Like, she was the ambassador in Zhuhai this week. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my god, give me all the pictures. I need to... What is... This is amazing. Mm -hmm. I can't get enough. <laughs> I wish I weren't so bad-minded in my younger years. And she and Andre do a really good job with Hall uh, Halloween. Yes. <laughs> this all comes back to, though... The pressitude. Like, the pressitude is just too much. <laughs> it's like, well, well, how, well, it's only for one week. He's only been number one for one week. Oh, and he got there by default because Raonic withdrew with an injury. He didn't have to win that match. Well, he didn't even have to play Novak the last few months. Novak's been injured. Novak this, Novak that. And last year's London points came off a week early. Uh-huh. Which they did last year, too, though. And then we're at the World Tour Finals. And the groupings come out, and they're not one in the one in the same. Oh, should we talk about that now? No, we can just okay. briefly mention they're not one in the same. Mm -hmm. But I see all these. I see some Novak fans trying to explain away how Novak's draw is actually quite difficult. Uh, so huh? Because get this, Coma. when you play the easier half, you then have the harder semifinal. <laughs> Um, okay. I wait. What? I don't get that. If you go three and zero, oh, it don't matter. I don't understand no, because you're gonna have to play a semifinal from somebody from the other draw. Yeah. Yeah. So say Novak comes out and he has Andy and Stan on the other half. But if you're first in your group, don't wouldn't you play the second in the other group? Yes, but the point is mm. the person on the other half is gonna be hard regardless. Oh come on. That's what they're saying. Mm. Anyway. I think it's clear that Novak's hug camp or whatever the hell he's been doing, his therapeutic touch. I've I've not paid any attention to that. <laughs> I don't know what it's about. I don't know if I want to know what it's about. Uh, like I've seen so many links and references to it, and I'm oh like, my God. this is not something I need to know. Well, he has a meditation coach with him. Oh, this is... I saw reference to some kind of guru. Yes. He's trying everything. I mean... I feel like he's acting as if the wheels have just fallen off. The, I don't get it. He's in a, a bit of a slump, which is unusual for him. But it seems like he's panicking or everybody's panicking. Like I said on the last podcast, his results still aren't that bad. Mm -mm. He's injured. He's clearly still dealing with injury. And I suspect a bunch of shit in his personal life. Regardless, I really don't care what's going on in his no, personal life. Really, but it's just not the all mugging. About... Like the mugging is just not cute for me. For me, it's clearly not all about tennis for him right now. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on, and I would expect him once he sorts that out and if he's healthy to come back like he was before, unless he just starts eating a lot of bread <laughs> and gets addicted. That's so rude. <laughs> like, there's no reason to expect Novak won't be back. Because physically, what's holding him back, except for whatever was going on with the elbow or the mm -hmm. wrist, that's something that can heal with time. 
Walk us through the two groups at the World Tour Finals. The Lendl group and the McEnroe group. Okay, I don't know which is which. <laughs> There's two groups. One is the Djokovic group and one is the Murray group. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Djokovic's group has Raonic, Team, and Malfis. And Murray's group has Stan, Nishikori, and Chilich. So, there's been a lot of chatter today. I was trying to keep up while I was at work. And Djokovic's group is a little bit easy. As easy as you can get when you're playing amongst the top eight players in the world. Put it this way. If he were to have picked the three to be in his group, those would be the three. <laughs> Probably. Because Chilich just beat him last week. Warinka has some very high-profile wins over him. And Djokovic has actually never lost a single match to anyone in that group. Yeah, we saw Mofis behave like a basket case in the U.S. Open semifinals against Djokovic. Mm -hmm. And these are just the wounded warriors here. Yeah, Dominic team is... There's no amount of fuel that can recharge those batteries before the end of the year. And Raonic may not even play because mm -hmm. he's carrying a mm -hmm. right quad injury. That's still up in the air, and if he pulls out, then it's going to be Burdick. Burdick, right? Yeah. I mean, Djokovic so, has his number. <laughs> so, this is good. This is good for Novak. Celebrate that, Novak mm -hmm. fans. And I can't really get mad about this. I'm not super excited or bummed or whatever, because I fully expect him to get to the semis and probably the final, because this is an event he's been so dominant at. So, I'm not going to lose any sleep about this. Yes, this is randomly chosen, and it was chosen um, in his favor, I guess. But who knows? That's just the way it works. It happens exactly. that way. But, so that's why I'm not getting mad. It's not rigged. And look, if Murray's a new number one, let him prove it. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> if he goes through and beats all these people, and then, say, beats Novak in the final, well, like, hey, I guess that settles that. <laughs> it's a big ask, of course, but... For the first time in a long time, there are some really interesting storylines, or at least one very interesting storyline, going into this World Tour Finals. Which is? Which is, do Murray and Djokovic play? If they do, who wins? And who wins the world number one? Because whoever wins that match will have the number one ranking at the end of the year. Provided it gets to that point. It could still be, right. be decided beforehand, one way or mm -hmm. the other. Now, will you be watching any of these matches? Um, probably not. <laughs> it's in London, right? So I guess I could watch some. The time, the time difference oh, is favorable for you. Oh, because they're usually at night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe I will, actually. To be totally honest with you, the matches in Asia, I really just don't watch. Because I'm not getting up that early. Or staying up that late. You're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to say, I've been very busy. I've really wanted to watch the matches, but... <laughs> Stuff got no, a lot of way. times I will watch replays or watch highlights. Yes. But... That is true. Yeah. For me, the most exciting thing in tennis the last couple days is the new men's rankings. Because mm. I've done like maybe 40 weekly rundowns with my This Week in Tennis. 40? Yeah. it's mm. It says like episode 42. Or sorry, um... Issue? Volume? Yes, volume 42. <laughs> but that that includes two weeks where I missed. Mm. So it's really 40. Okay. But anyway, every week I'm looking at the rankings. So I've been paying much more attention to the WTA and ATP Tour rankings than I have in any previous right. year. And part of writing about it is noting the big changes one way or the other for the players on either tour. So I'll say, well, for example, this week... Uh, Murray plus one to number one mm -hmm. kind of deal. And I can't recall a time all year or in recent memory where so many big name players have made such big jumps one way or the other with such great ramifications in the context of their careers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. This is a major shakeup in one week. Andy Murray's number one which any given week would be the biggest story, clearly. Mm -hmm. But then we have, at number six, a career high for Gael Mofis, which has been in the making all year. Mm -hmm. He's come close. He's been at seven, going down to eight, back and forth for a little while now. And he's finally 
gone one better to get that new career high. And it's really been a banner year for him. It's been the maybe the best year of his career. He made the semis at the US Open, won in DC, made a whole bunch of quarterfinals and semifinals. Mm-hmm. Rafa is down to number eight. And if you're a, a Fadal fan, having Rafa at eight is one thing, but then you have Federer at number 16. The first time he's been out of the top 10 since 2002. 14 years. That's crazy. Incomprehensible. Crazy. And men's tennis has been so stable. Very stable. And for some people, it's been stagnant. I don't necessarily agree, but tennis has rarely been so reliable, let's say. John Isner jumps a bunch of places back into the top 20. Who's he? You know, he's that tall guy. The tall dude. Aha. Uh-huh. He's like... Ivo Karlovich? No, and the other one. Okay. Is he the one voting for Trump? One of them. <laughs> <laughs> How I wish it were only one. Right? Now, this episode is going to come out mere hours before, before polls the close. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to say anything, make any predictions. I just... If I can have a sidebar for a moment, okay. hope that you all are taking care of yourselves and giving yourself moments to collect your mental health, because I have. Because over the past week, I've completely avoided election news. I've stayed pretty much off Twitter for the most part, and uh, it's really helped my stress levels. So I hope you all have survived this election season. That is quite the sidebar. Yeah, I just thought it had to be said. Brought up by John Isner. (laughs) Really? No, but really, I have realized as I've gotten older, you have got to take these breaks from social media, not just during the election. It is really, really important to take care of yourself mentally and emotionally. So that's my little bit of advice for our loyal listeners. Back to John Isner. Mm -hmm. Back to Jisner. (laughs) He's, again, the top American, because let's be real, having Steve Johnson as a top American just never felt right. Not with that freaking mustache. (laughs) (laughs) Which is gone, though. Ain't that that the thing, that he tormented people with this hideous mustache only to then cut it for Movember? I know. What is that? He's a a rebel. Mm, A rebel with no cause. In Toronto, it's impossible to tell when it's Movember because everyone has really outlandish facial hair throughout the year. Another sidebar. (laughs) Is it time for my quiz yet? No, not quite yet. The Uh, last bit of news from the rankings is that David Ferrer is out of the top 20 for the first time since July 2009. And he also spent five and a half years in the top 10 consecutively mm. between October of 2010 to May of this year. And now at 36, who knows? So that's such a lie. He's 34. I meant to say 34. I thought he was 35. <laughs> no, he is 34. <laughs> I don't know why 36 came like, out. Like if somebody ever added 2 years to my age, I would be very <laughs> very angry. As would I. <laughs> I apologize, David. Uh but at 34 turning 35 early next year, this might be tricky for him. As we often say, we have gotten out of the, pre- the predictions game. So really who knows. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Do you want to regale our listeners with that time you took a a quiz about which tennis player you were and you got Maria Sharapova? (laughs) Do you remember when... Also, I love how you did not tell me about this. You were so ashamed. Because it was embarrassing. You were so ashamed that you did not tell me. I had to wait till somebody else responded to it on Twitter Mm -hmm. like three days later for me to see it. Do you remember when Venus Williams said, now I got to take a dumb quiz? (laughs) It was a dumb quiz. (laughs) There were only eight questions, and I was trying to take it strategically to not get Maria Sharapova, because I knew she was one of the options, and I still got her. Well, this is where... How dare you? No, if you know that Serena is one of the options, you take it so that you are Serena, not that you're not Maria. Too many of the questions this is like were the similar. This is like the election. You no. vote for Hillary, not mm. against Trump. It's like, are you aggressive or defensive? So both would be would be either Maria or Serena. Do you love to dress up on the red carpet or whatever? I said no. Obviously, you're not going to get Serena if yeah, you do that. Yeah, but how could I get Maria? She loves that shit. Yeah, but she also dresses up in these basic granny clothes. <laughs> 
girl. <laughs> she does. <laughs> That's it's like, called. It's called fashion, these, Jonathan. No, they're called frocks. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. She's so, a she's a fashion icon, Maria Sharapova. So between me being called an obviously a Novak fan this mm-hmm. week and you getting Maria on this quiz, it was at least mine had I thought found it hilarious. I got mostly humor. Out I of found mine. it very trying. <laughs> right before your exam, no less. Uh, exactly. <laughs> One last thing I want to talk about briefly before we get into your quiz mm-hmm. is this whole business of Dominic team and does he play too much? Yes. <laughs> was that a question <laughs> so for this year he's played 27 tournaments other players have played 30 odd I think Goffin has played 25-26 they're similarly ranked like differentiated right now by a couple of ranking spots mm-hmm. Goffin not in the top 10 nor has he ever been fine but what I want to get to here is have we conceived team to be this big star or having that much more potential slash going further places than other players and thus hold him to a different standard. Because why do we not hear about Goffa in particular playing too much? Is it because we don't mm. think he's going to be that good? I th- well, I think team ceiling is higher. Okay. And he's had something of a breakout year. He's not He's not used to winning as many matches, so he's playing even more than he, I'm sure, expected. He's won a lot of titles. Which right. is the big difference. He's had a good year. However, there's going to be this push and pull. He's had a great year, but he's also flamed out a lot yeah. because of exhaustion or injury or whatever. So I think as he gets older, I'm hoping that he will learn to manage the schedule a little bit better. I'm just starting to think about it with a little bit more nuance than I had a few weeks ago. Okay. Because there's this idea that in order for him to become a top player and stay a top player, he has to play less and pick his spots more, mm-hmm. which you just alluded to. Right. And that's borne out in facts by, if you look at the top 10 and the number of tournaments that the top 10 players play, it's significantly less. Mm. Pretty much nobody plays more than 20 tournaments a year. Right. If you're a truly top player, fine. So he's already exceeded that by seven. It will be eight at the World Tour Finals. <laughs> And who knows how many more tournaments he would have played had he not been injured and had to withdraw from events. He could be well into the 30s. Right. Every playing week Uh of the year. But it's also not that he's playing all these events. He's playing doubles as well. Mm -hmm. He was stuck halfway across the globe, not flying to Toronto because he was still... Cincinnati, I think, right? No, no, it was Toronto. Oh, was it? I forget where he was coming from. It was somewhere in Europe. And he lost really early in singles in the week. And he stayed and played and lost in the finals of doubles mm-hmm. that week, not allowing himself time to fly to Toronto to prepare for the Rogers Cup, which is a master's event. Right. And then he loses. Rather, he has to retire very early in that match, which we were present at. This is the kind of scheduling thing. I think that's more what it comes down to. I don't think it's so much about playing too much. It's about picking your spots and maybe forgetting about the doubles right now. Like what is, is a doubles game helping your singles tennis that much at this point where you would make that decision? Maybe it is. And just play doubles at fewer tournaments. I think you can think of it. Do you think Dominic team is a future grand slam winner? Or do you think he can put together a very good career Mm -hmm. like someone like Ferrer or Berdich, which would be no shame at all because they have had very respectable careers and there's no shade at all in that, seriously. But if you think that Dominic Team could win majors, are you going to be does satisfied? Does he think that? Right. That's the issue. Okay. What, how does he feel about himself right now? Because mm. the doubles money is not that great for this third-rate event to stay on and play doubles. Exactly. Like, is, it's is not it a, fun That's for him? not about is, the money. I mean, he seems to be enjoying himself on uh-huh. tour, but I don't know. I, we'll see. Will not object to people finding his choices curious. <laughs> that's not what this is about, mm-hmm. right? I'm thinking, too, maybe part of it is tomorrow is not promised to anybody. Maybe at 21, he is just trying to get as many points and money as he can. Like, his 
I mean, you know, you remember, you remember what it was like to be 21. You feel right. invincible, infallible, mm-hmm. that your body's not going to break down. It's just a, a fact of life. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I just hope he doesn't damage himself mentally long term. Right. I feel like that's the biggest challenge for mm-hmm. him right now. The repetitive losing. Are you ready for your quiz? Yeah. So what is it on? So like we said, James is going to be taking this quiz. He has no idea what the topic is about. And we're actually going to be using some sound effects for like one of the first times ever (laughs) on the show. So are you ready to play? I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) That's intense. Really intense. <laughs> Points if you can tell us what that music is from. Your category is ATP Tour World Number Ones. <laughs> okay. I thought this wasn't even gonna be tennis related. Really? Yeah. Why? Why would we do something non-tennis related? I don't know. I don't know. Your first question: mm. How many men have been ranked number one? What? How many Twenty-five. Twenty-six. <gasps> fuck! I was gonna say twenty-six. <laughs> I really was. And fuck for me too, because I should have had my sound effect going, which I didn't. I know. Get it together. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Steve Harvey. <laughs> uh, this one isn't so much a right or wrong answer, but it's inspired Is this, uh, from... an essay question? It's inspired from, like, a name, your t- name that tune kind of thing, where mm-hmm. you're like... Well, I can name that tune in, tune in five seconds. Mm. I want you to tell me how many players you think of those 26 you can name and then name them. Oh, I'm, oh God. <laughs> how many that I think I can name? Yeah. So it's like a wager in Jeopardy. Uh-huh. Um, okay, I'll, I'll try to name 20. You're going to go for 20? Wait, is there a time limit? I'm going to be kind, no timeline, but okay. you have to be reasonable here. You can't just let this thing drag on forever. Okay, I'm going to try to name 20. All right, go. I believe in myself. Connors, Lendl, Borg, Vilas, Sampras, Agassi, Courier. What? No Vilas. Can, do I get to keep going? <laughs> yes, you can keep going. <laughs> McEnroe. Did I say Vlander? No. Vlander. Yeah. Federer. Nadal, Djokovic, now Murray. Mm-hmm. There's, oh, this is harder than I thought. Oh, there's um, Marcelo Rios. Yes. Uh, Mooster. Mm, oh, I get him confused with Magnus Norman. Wait, no, one of them got number one, didn't they? <laughs> no, <laughs> Mooster did. did. No. You're such a liar. Yes, he did. Okay, anyway. That is my bad. As I was saying. That is my bad. Mooster was number one. I have it written down here mm-hmm. as well. I just felt like... For some reason, you needed another one of these. <laughs> then there's also um, Hewitt, Ferrero, Roddick, Safin, Kirton. How many is that? You like that five right in a row like that? Yeah. Bitch. Aren't you the one counting? I lost track because you gave me a wrong answer. <laughs> um, who else is there in the 70s? Arthur Ashe? No. No? Um... Mm, who else I am can't I missing? Score... Oh, uh, Becker and Edberg. Yes. And I'm gonna I'm gonna hang it up there. Okay. See, I can't keep track of what you did get mm. and like buzz you at the same time. It's just too much for well, me. Well, this was your idea, so okay. But I'm gonna look at my list here and tell you the ones that I think you didn't get. Okay. So you didn't get Nastasi. Oh yeah. You didn't get John Newcomb. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have gotten who else here? I don't believe you got Carlos Moya. No. Nor, I always forget him. Nor Kafelnikov. No. Nor Rafter. No. So I think you got 21. Really? That's pretty good. All right. I'll take it. This bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Of the 26 players to have made it to number one, Murray's included in this category because he's been number one for one week. Mm-hmm. Only one other player was at number one for only one week. Who was that? Only one week. Only one week. Like consecutively? No, in total. Was just number one Uh for one week of his career. 
Mm, I bet it's in Stasi. <laughs> it's a that's a different butler. <laughs> <laughs> it's Patrick Rafter. Really? Yeah. That's so sad. Mm-hmm. Only one of the 26 players ranked number one never won a Grand Slam title. Oh, I know that one. That's Marcelo Rios. <laughs> <laughs> and picking up piggy blah, piggybacking off of that question, two players when they reached number one had never won a Grand Slam title. We now know that Rios was one of them. Who mm-hmm. was the other? Oh, um, I feel like it's Andy Roddick. No? Ivan Lendl in 1983. Really? Yep. Oh. Five men have spent more than 200 weeks at number one. Mm-hmm. Name those five. Sampras, Novak, Federer, Lendl, and... Oh, this last one. <laughs> I know who I want it to be, but it's not, right? I'm not giving you. <laughs> I am not giving um, you any. Do you think I'm done in Brazil? Um. Oh. Oh. <laughs> you just played yourself. Who did I? Why? <laughs> <You. laughs> <laughs> okay, I think it's um, Connors. <gasps> you are such yes. yes a piece of shit. I don't know why I take it personally when you beat my quizzes. <laughs> Don't you want me to succeed? Four out of five would have been just fine. <laughs> <laughs> this this part I'm really excited for. Okay. This one, you're going to be getting five questions, and it's going to you have to tell us which of these two players spent more time at number one. Oh. So the first one, Rafa Nadal or John McEnroe? Nadal. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. Mm. <laughs> Nadal to date has 141 weeks at number one, and McEnroe spent 170. Okay. Ready for the second one? Mm-hmm. Ivan Lendl or Jimmy Connors? Lendl. By a total of two weeks, 270 to 268. Mm, I knew that. I knew the exact numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Boris Becker or Andy Roddick? Becker. Really? (laughs) This is bullshit. (laughs) Andy Roddick had 13 weeks at number one and Boris Becker had 12. Mm. All right. Number four, Jim Courier or Stefan Edberg? Courier. (sighs) I thought it was another trick question. (laughs) Courier... Had 58 and Edberg had 72. I'm enjoying myself much more now. Mm, I see. <laughs> and the last one, Andre Agassi or Bjorn Borg? Mm, this is a hard one. Agassi. <sighs> I was trying to go for like the more unexpected one. You just out thunk yourself. Mm-hmm. So, would you get like one right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Agassi had 101 weeks at number one, and Borg had 109. Okay. Who was the youngest world number one? Becker. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) V-Lander? Hewitt, man. Oh. Mm. 20 years old and 268 days. Who was the oldest world number one? Newcomb. You are such a dumbass. Agassi, man. 33. Newcomb was like 55. <laughs> <laughs> Who had the most year-end number ones? Mm, Sampras? All right. Finally. <laughs> Sampras was number one year-end six times consecutively mm-hmm. from 1993 to 1998. All right. It was kind of hit and miss. So that brings us to... Good quiz. It was. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the quiz. I just though. wish I did better. <laughs> it wasn't unfair, would you say? It was unfair? No. Okay. I could have studied if I had known. <laughs> <laughs> so y'all, I hope y'all were playing along at home and tell us how you did 
And I'm sure James wants to hear if you beat him. If you did better than me, like, you can keep that to yourself. I feel like it would have been very difficult for somebody not to have done better than you. Are you... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that I... is so rude. I feel like you did a lot of losing in that. <laughs> oh, my lord. All right, all there... you ATP experts. There was a lot of that mm. in the quiz. Yeah, thanks for that. So we are coming at you with our TV episode very shortly. We're going to be recording another one this week. And this is the one we've been excited about for a long time and been putting off. But if you're a TV fan, we're going to talk about like the 72 shows that we watch and our favorites. We have a lot of categories that we're excited about. Do you want to give a little preview? Such as? Like one of the categories? Such as? Um, hmm. Best new show? Yeah, that's a pretty standard one. Okay. So there's best new show. There's also, <laughs> we're going to be talking about uh, some episodes that stuck out, mm -hmm. that stayed with you, even if it's not on one of our year-end favorite shows. Yeah, for good or bad. Mostly these, good, though. These episodes stuck with us after mm -hmm. we watched them. Mm -hmm. So look out for that, hopefully on the weekend. We're going to get that to you. Mm-hmm. As always, if you've enjoyed the episode, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter at the Body Serve, or individually. I'm Jonathan at SportsCribeCA, and I'm James at Elliot JMR. And of course, the holy grail of feedback, an iTunes review. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're in Idaho, thank you for listening because you're the last state we need to do our tour of the full fifty states. Really? Did we get Idaho? And not yet. We there were two before. It was like a Dakota, right? Mm-hmm. And so we got the Dakota? We got one of the Dakotas. Okay. I do not remember which one. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your patience and sticking around, waiting for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And till next time. <laughs>